Hello and welcome to Push Your Peak with me, Louise Minchin. Each week I'll be joined by some of the world's most incredible sports people who've achieved extraordinary things. I'll be finding out what it takes both physically and mentally to surpass what you think the human body is capable of to achieve your goals. As these people share their stories, I hope you take away the belief that you too can achieve your own goals no matter how big or small. Alison Tetrick describes herself as cowgirl, scientist, storyteller, and a professional cyclist. What an amazing woman. Her journey's taken her from growing up in California to representing the USA national cycling team and a career that not almost ended her life, but also, she has said, saved her life. She ranked in the top 10 professional races in the world before a sequence of crashes led her to explore different adventures on her bike. She is now known as the queen of gravel and more recently became a Watt Bike Ambassador. Alison, it's lovely to meet you. Thank you very much for joining us on this podcast on Push Your Peak. I think you are well-placed to help us with all things about pushing your peak. What an extraordinary and varied uh, life you've had. I kind of want to start... So you're known as the Queen of Gravel. How do you feel about that title, first of all? Considering your background and where you're located, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, you know, at this point. Um, I started gravel racing, which we can dive into in a bit, in 2017, and it was right as the sport was growing. So I had a year of, a couple years of just saying yes to any event. Um, I won Unbound, which is a the largest gravel race in the world in 2017. It's 200 miles of gravel in Emporia, Kansas. <laughs> so that was a big deal. Um, and it just sparked coming from the world tour racing and then winning gravel world's championships three times in a row, the rift in Iceland, Rebecca's private Idaho. Like I was just doing like a year of yes. And believe me, a couple of years of yes. And there's several years of no after that now coming, I'm sure in my future, but being just kind of at the more beginning part of gravel and this huge movement that it's had in the cycling community and industry. So I think that's how I earned that. And I just loved it. And I like being royal, you know, who doesn't want to be like a prom queen? <laughs> no, no. I mean, definitely there is something about gravel and it's very much, um, I mean, I've only recently got a gravel bike. This year was the first time I have got a gravel bike um, and I've loved it. And I think especially, you know, here as well, it is very much a growing sport for those people who'll be listening to this podcast. And there'll be some very serious cyclists and also some, you know, people who are perhaps trying out cycling as well. Um, what's the difference? I mean, there's so many differences between gravel biking and, you know, road biking, road cycling. Yeah. So I think the main difference is gravel definitely has taken a huge growth spurt the last several years. And then, of course, we have the pandemic boom of people getting on bikes the main difference is gravel a lot is to me about community. It's getting off the beaten path, exploring your side roads, you know, in between the vineyards or wherever you are. I'm in California, so and in Sonoma County. But so I think the main difference is it is a drop bar bike. So it looks like a traditional road bike, but it has more tire clearance. So you can put knobby tires on a drop bar bike. And really gravel biking, though, you can ride whatever you want, but it is just all those little bike paths and off getting away from cars and finding your ultimate snack stop and then really challenging yourself on the endurance side, too. But also, I think there's just place to have fun with gravel. It's it's less serious and a little more explored. I like to say it's like exploring the inside of you and the outside, like your backyard. There's lots of things I love about that sentence, including snacks, because that is one of the main reasons I like cycling. And I plan my rides around where the best, I don't know, for example, one of my best snacks is sausage and baked beans. 
for example. Is that how you plan some of your rides when you're not obviously racing? Yeah, I um, am totally uh, snack based, you know, definitely snack motivated. And luckily, you know, we all live in great places where you can find the local cuisine. So for me, it could be anything from oysters to pizza to barbecue, you know, but it's fun to ride 50 miles somewhere kind of in a crazy adventurous way and just kind of savor your own story that day, wherever you decide to stop. Oh, it's wonderful. You've sold, you've sold, I mean, if I wasn't already sold, uh, you've sold it to me. Okay. So let's take you back a bit to life growing up. And I mentioned you describe yourself as a cowgirl. You still wear some very epic cowgirl, cow boots. And um, what do we call them? Cow boots? Cowboy boots. Okay. So you, yeah. Tell me about life on, oh, it was a ranch essentially, wasn't it? Yes. I've uh, born and raised in California um, on a cattle ranch and my parents still live up in Northern California on a fully functioning uh, beef cattle ranch. Uh, so I think that's my joke is I, I, I took a long path to get to the bike, uh, similar to you, but different. So we're going to align on that, um, is I kind of grew up with these wide open spaces. We lived pretty far from school. So over 30 miles uh, from school. So I didn't do a lot of organized sports when I was growing up, but I think I just had just this big sky and big hills and horses and, you know, things just to dream about. And my parents are uh, hardworking and wonderful and both athletes in their own right as well. My dad's, yeah, they're incredible. Um, and then I ended up playing tennis in college and then I studied biochemistry. And I mean, the cycling was like not anything in my actual, I guess, I don't know how to say that. Anyway, it wasn't really in my view However, it wasn't you, on you, your horizon. No, no. <laughs> that, that wasn't in those skies. I was riding my horse on, um, so it's funny. So I think that is some one of the things about the Queen of Gravel. Like when I won Unbound, you get a big belt buckle. And I came from this world tour background and I wear belt buckles for fun. Like you should look at my high school photos, you know, the boots, the belt buckle. So I just rocked that thing like everywhere I went. And I think I'd be like, I don't know if anyone had done that before. <laughs> I was just so proud of it. I was like, look what I did. Anyway, oh, that's so I digress. So you're not meant to wear them. You're meant to just like have them, are you? That's hilarious. I don't know. I just, anything. I was just like, I just wore that thing for, yeah, still, you know, I wear a lot of belt buckles too. Um, so I, I just, I did find an interesting way to the sport that way, but, um, I think this is something that you can align with. Um, mm. You found the bike later. You just told me in the, in the pre-show and my grandfather is actually who got me into cycling. So playing collegiate tennis and then biochemistry. I'm like working in a lab doing chemistry research and drug discovery. And I am done playing tennis. I am shockingly not Serene Williams, like Serena Williams. Right. So I'm not, don't have a pro career. I got like club life, <laughs> which actually in hindsight wasn't so bad. But. I bet. And also, you know, you've got to be good to, you know, it's not like you were average to have got to be, you know, to be playing for clubs. So there we go. Yeah. Yeah. So to totally, uh, loved my career in NCAA, uh, playing. And then but there was something which I think that this will be interesting to the users, but you know, you, you find the sport, you want to like get as good as you can. You want to work on your craft, but I just wanted something more. So as I was working, I was thinking about, I was frustrated in tennis because tennis is not an endurance sport. It's a skill sport. Um, it's beautiful. Mm. I love it. Um, I, a bucket list is definitely going to Wimbledon at one point. Um, but it's a beautiful sport, but I, I found the, strength training and the endurance like very compelling because with that there was a direct correlation to the effort and time I put into running to lifting to that part because I was so frustrated in the sport of the skill <laughs> like I wanted to be the best like athlete but not necessarily didn't turn out to be the best tennis player <laughs> so so I when I graduated college I still had a very um I was 
very uh, competitive still, as we are. Well, mm-hmm. some of us. Me, yes. Yeah, um, some of us still, even at my age, Alison. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not fast, but I'm, I like it. You know, you're just like, I want to get better. And it's it's really <laughs> beautiful because sports and especially endurance sports, um, which the WAP bike is great for, is is it gives you an opportunity to challenge yourself and just get better. And you don't have to be a professional. It's just about getting better at a craft, a skill, something. And so I uh, started running a lot um, upon graduation as I was working and getting all my angst out of being a, I'm a little too extroverted to be a scientist if you didn't notice. (laughs) So, um, and my grandfather, my grandfather was like, hey, Al, you know, you should try bikes. Wow. That is dorky. Right, you know. <laughs> Did you? Is that what you thought? Yeah, like this, this like spandex and the bright colors, and I know I was like, not for me. I'm in like tennis skirts, and, you know. <laughs> and so you'll love this, but my my grandfather didn't start riding or racing a bike until he was after fifty. Brilliant. And he raced until he was 85. You see, this is what is brilliant for this podcast because for the first thing you've taught me in Push Your Peak Wise is that you can start things. I mean, you were already an example, but your grandfather, even more of an example, start things late and enjoy and be good at them. Anyway, so he told he he started when he was 50, over 50. Brilliant. Yeah, and he had 17 uh USA national like amateur masters titles. Uh and he was racing and they didn't even have an 80 plus category yet. And he's showing up and they have to like keep making categories because the guy kept showing up. He's like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get better. And so I think before we move on from that, like the couple things he learned, like I learned from him, um, mm. cycling definitely became a language of love. He was, you know, a veteran, tough. He's been through some hard times and we use endurance sports and like just cycling. It was just how we connected and it was really a special relationship. Um, but he taught me that sport is timeless. So like you said, I started at 22 and I was able to race at the world's highest levels and he started at 50 and he got to do his highest level. And it's, this teaches you humility too. You know, it's just, yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing which I loved, and I heard you talking somewhere else about this is when you first started racing and I think you were racing even for the national team. The, the reason I love this is I've fallen off my bike so many times because I've messed up with my cleats, okay? And you didn't even know how to properly use them, which is sort of fantastic. I started racing, um, when I started racing road, um, within like two months, I was basically a pro, had a contract and went to Europe to race what? with the Team USA. And I am telling you, I went from like riding with just like bike shorts, but not cycling shorts, right? Like just little spandex shorts, like triathlon, but not no pad, you know, tank tops, just out there riding. In the first race I did, they, they told me there was a rule that you actually have to wear a Jersey with sleeves. And I have just like a sports bra top on. And so my grampy gave me my, my grandfather, but they call him grampy. He gave me his Jersey. And then I pinned my number like upside down. It's so inspiring. Honestly, it really is right. So you number upside down. You don't know how to use your cleats, even when you're in 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 proper races. Oh uh, yeah. So cycling does start earlier for some people, but I think the moral of that story is if you just give yourself a little grace and not be scared to try things. Although I'm not saying I wasn't extremely fearful, <laughs> and probably yeah. still operate on a high level of you know fear and respect for the gravity and pavement. What I call it. Yeah, and we'll come to that because there's a serious element to that, isn't there, from your point of view? Um, so you're on the bike, and and presumably. You know, you were winning races because you were extremely strong. When did you realize that you had had it in you to go out there and start winning? 
oh man, that might make me tear up. I don't know if I believe that until like, like until now in a way. Does that make wow. sense? Wow. When you're in it, like you just, I just like to try and go as hard as I can, do the best I can. But I always hindsight, you look back, and you're like, wow, there was something there. But, you know, a lot of times we operate in imposter syndrome because maybe it's not about other people. Maybe it's just about you doing your best and probably didn't believe all the accolades that I received earlier on. And now I, oh, that, that was pretty nice, you know? But, you know, that's good just to give us credit for where we've been and where we're going to go. Yeah, um, that's um, I'm sure lots of people will relate to that in lots of th different things, whether it's sport or jobs. I mean, so many of us have that, don't they? And look back and go, gosh, I did that. Did I or did I do that? Yeah. So I think we can impress ourselves and then we also can fail spectacularly. <laughs> yeah, you, you do talk about learning from failure, don't you? Yeah, I think it's important because a lot of times, you know, especially with social media and how we have been interacting at least the last several years anyway, and it's everything always looks so bright and shiny, but it's not that way. I mean, we can talk about it too on recovery, but it's just about taking daily logs of, you know, where you are, where you are in that space, where you want to push and where you want to go full grace, <laughs> maybe just sit up for a second. So um, I like the cycling term sit up for a second I should try and remember that one actually because it's quite a good one isn't it just a, you know you don't have to be head down all the time do you um you do mention you've mentioned a little bit you sort of alluded to um you had a really well two actually didn't you really bad accidents um and head injuries I I don't want to you know kind of bring back things that are too traumatic and I know you do talk about it a bit but just for those who don't know what happened I had a really bad crash we came off of racing the Giro d'Italia so Giro Don uh with Team USA mm. we won it was amazing first American to win was my teammate so that was something I was really proud about um came back to the U.S. I'm feeling now like this probably was why I'm very cautious on when I knew I was going to be good because this is the moment I actually was like I think I've got this like, I am on Team USA. We just did this. I have these great teammates. I am so proud of this moment in my life. Meanwhile, like, probably my marriage is, like, dissolving. I'm just pushing so many limits everywhere. Um, that's a whole nother podcast we should dive into. But um, And so that moment was, like, probably where I first was just, like, proud of myself. And dare I say a little, maybe it's egotistical or confident, you know, whatever. I don't know which which term. But and then this crash happened in 2010. So that's a long time ago. Um, but it was just went from 45 miles an hour to zero, no sliding, no blood, just shattered my pelvis, which I still deal with. And I like just hit pelvis head and I was unconscious, seizures, life flighted out of a professional bike race. Um, not my fault. Somebody ran into me. It's fine. You know, it you just give me goosebumps listening to that, Alison, because you know, it's terrifying and you're, you're very lucky to be here probably. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it's a whole story in itself, but I did end up getting in the hospital. My dad was there at the race to watch. He rode his bike up to the finish. So it took him a bit to get to the hospital. Um, also took them a bit to get me off course. And then I came back with such fierce passion. Yes. It seemed to me that you really, you, you were sort of angry in some ways and, and but that worked to, you know, to be fast, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. But not healthy. So yeah. I fixated on a bone. And as we know, it's really hard to measure traumatic brain injuries or concussions, any sort of head trauma. I mean, there's only certain things you can visually see medically versus like for brain swellings, bleeding. But 
the other just bruising and damage. But this was a little bit before concussions were more popular with our USA football and you know other sports where soccer. I think there's a lot more awareness now, isn't there, about yeah. the sort of long-term impact of head injury. Right, because I came back to racing skinny, not in a relationship anymore, super motivated, angry, scared, you know, all sorts of things. But all I was worried about was my bones being healed and not my head being healed. So when I crashed again at the Pan American Games a year and a half later or a year later, like then, I mean, then it was just like a really rough couple of years after that. Um, I needed to relearn how to read. Um, I was dealing with depression, increased anxiety, and just very, very dark. The way I only can describe it is the lights went out, like literally in my head. Oh gosh. So how do you turn them back on again? This is where I think about reaching your peak performance, it comes into the play of not operating in silos and this is good for <laughs> this is good for professional like your career and everything and your relationships but I was identifying myself so oh, I think you actually brought this up so well um is since that was the moment that I first believed in myself that I was like I am just a professional cyclist like I am going to be the best in the world and with that I shut out other parts of my life and so how I turned it around was that I was so much more than just a cyclist I am a cowgirl. I am a daughter. I am a professional, you know, like I am a storyteller, but I shut all those things out because I thought like I needed to live, you know, like a monk or, you know, silo my life and put all my identity in one, in one basket. And when that basket gets dropped, I mean, literally. Um, yeah. So it's been a long way back and, you know, I, the small things I know about, um, brain injury, it's, it's not a linear recovery either, is it? No, no. And, People will ask me, and I'm glad you didn't phrase it this way, so you are one of the best interviewers I've ever worked with. People will be like, oh, how long did it take you to recover? And I say recovery is a daily battle. Like every day I wake up and, you know, my husband, we went to Monster Trucks, which is super American. So we went to a Monster Truck rally <laughs> a couple weeks I've ago. I've seen was, a Monster Truck. They're very loud. Yeah. He, he brought me these headphones, you know, like gun <laughs> Like headphones. Oh my gosh. By the way, everybody, she's showing me the biggest headphones I think I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I know they're still sitting here because now I'll use it when he like works on the house. Um, but so like loud noises still affect me, um, flashy music, like uh, movies, things like that. So it's just a matter of making sure I can keep my brain calm. Uh, I get overstimulated and I'm very extroverted and I like to like jump in and start hard, like hot and hard. You know, I'm like, yeah. I'm here. And then I got to be like, whoa. So the enthusiasm sometimes has an impact. Yeah, it's accurate. Gosh. So, yeah. So you're still, I mean, I imagine, you know, as I say, I've got a small um, insight into brain injury and, you know, this is something that you will probably be part of you actually for the rest of your life. Yeah, it will. And, you know, I have a lovely support system. Like I said, my family's amazing and my partner is, he, he worries about it. So, you know, that's, it's just a good place. So too. So if you're dealing with any mental health, whether or not you had a brain injury, or not, I think it's just about finding a safe place to go and a great support network, which doesn't have to be family or partners. It can be on the internet if possible. Like, you know, it can be anywhere, but yeah. there's there's resources out there to help. And that's where I think it goes into just like our training logs that we, our diaries or how, whatever you call them, how you track your training and your performance. You also can go back into that mental health element and track where you are, which day and what you need to do. And I think that is just really important to see how we grow, evolve, and become the best we can be. 
I think that's a really good message to take um, in this podcast as well, especially when you're thinking of pushing your peak, that the peak is not always the pinnacle, actually. You know, you've got to do work either side, haven't you? Yeah, actually, yeah, the peak sometimes I look back too, and I don't think it's always the races that are my peak, right? It's these amazing adventure rides I have with friends or this like euphoric moment where I just am floating for whatever reason on the pedals or maybe riding an essay for somebody. You know, you don't know, but it's just these peak performances. And it goes mm-hmm. back to just celebrating those peaks when we have. So I do give that advice. Like when you have a hidden peak, I call them like hidden peaks because or they're like surprise peaks because you don't know sometimes. And suddenly <laughs> it's just this, you you enter this yeah, euphoria in a way. And and to not discredit that because it isn't where you planned it to be, but celebrate that because those don't come out that often, right? Like, yeah, it might be the wrong time, but celebrate it. Oh, that's such a lovely thought. How important was the bike in your recovery? And because obviously it is, it is one of the loves of your life, isn't it? So when did you start getting back on and, and how much did it help? It really, it really did help. I, I, I got back on too quickly in the first huge crash. The second huge crash, I waited longer because I needed to. Um, But all I wanted to do, you know, back to that fixation, which I think a lot of us have when you're looking for peak performances, we get very laser focused on one ultimate goal. And it was to get back on my bike. And I worked with a neuropsychologist, which I actually then ended up entering a master's graduate program to study neuropsychology because I was fascinated with the functions of the brain. and I worked with a neuropsychologist and he kept like not wanting me to ride because of safety. I can't fall again. And, you know, fluky things can happen. But yeah. he that's where I I finally when I got back on it, it was on my, my terms and not the bike's terms. And I think that that just changed my relationship with a bike where we have a love and hate relationship because I'm like, you try to kill me, but it's about on my terms and my schedule with my relationship with the bike. And I have to be okay with that. And so I took some therapy on, do I choose results or my health? And once I was able to answer very honestly, I will choose my health over results. I let it go. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and now yeah, yeah. my bike is just a beautiful vessel where I can explore, express, find freedom and still challenge myself, find those peaks and, you know, yeah. enjoy it. And the switch to gravel was was kind of inspired, I guess. It was. It was very inspired. I had raced World Tour. I was living in Europe and, and having a, a great time getting to experience these races that are just iconic, racing on great teams with lovely teammates. But once I f- realized I was not as inspired and you're dreading just starting... <laughs> And you're dreading mm. finishing. <laughs> I said, I need to try something new. This is a really beautiful sport. I, at that time, I think I'd like, I've done is eight, nine years. You're, you're great, but you're done. And once again, going back to like my terms, I, I was, I think something, this is another on peak performance. Like this is something that a lot of us fall into is picking goals that inspire other people or they're, accepted by other people or more just like that fancy shiny star like maybe like you're doing the Alcatraz swim maybe like do you want to do Kona I don't know is it do you have to do Kona because everyone's doing Kona you know I'm a bit like you Alison I like adventure so you're right Kona I mean I'm not good enough for starters but (laughs) Alcatraz just sounds wild 
it does sound super wild. You have to jump off that ferry boat thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Um, <laughs> but I think this advice I'd give is find goals that inspire you and not somebody else. It, because yeah. as athletes, we pick goals sometimes that are just expected. And I think you can think outside of that box and find goals that inspire you. And so with gravel, it was exciting. I had never ridden my bike that long. I had never really ridden in dirt, you know, and it was just a really fun fun way to go and so I was very inspired by it and welcomed by a beautiful community so it's been a it's been a yeah blast. you definitely have been you definitely been welcomed I can see that <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by what bike push your performance this year with what bike whether you're training for a sportive or simply want to get fitter the award-winning smart bike watch bike atom could be your perfect training partner with integrated gear shifters, real ride feel, and gold standard accuracy, this is the ultimate indoor bike to kickstart your indoor training. You can measure and track your cycling performance on the free Watch Bike Hub app and get real time feedback on your pedaling technique too. Expertly crafted and designed in the UK, what bikes are tough enough to withstand elite athletes in training while beautiful enough to sit in your own home. Discover how Wattbike can help you reach your goals this year. Just head to wattbike.com. Tell me about your favorite race then on the gravel bike. What has been the most kind of exciting, fun, uh, challenging? I love them all. It's so hard. Um, they all are so unique. To be able to go ride around a volcano in Iceland, I mean, that's pretty exciting. I'd never been to Iceland and I lucked out on the weather, so I think I'm good. Like, I don't know if I need to repeat that because I don't want to be cold. I think, though, the best one was my first win at Unbound. It was my first time riding that distance and it, 206 miles. And I'd only ridden 120 before that. And I raced the Pan American Championships like a week before Amgen Tour of California and fully went into this un, unaware of what that would be like and how far my body could go and to win was fun, but to me, it was about pushing a new physical limit. And I realized I hadn't pushed that in cycling in a while. Gosh. So there's 206 miles. And actually, you missed you missed the turn to the finish. And I did. You were winning and missed the turn. I just love this story. It's the kind of thing I do, you know. Honestly. I'm like, I'm going to win. Oh, no, I'm not going to win. And then it was like the rage of God in my heart to like win. I was so I was so angry. Um, so you did a U-turn, went back. And she's going and she's looking. And I was like, oh, no, I got to go. Like I crossed after like seven hours. I crossed this crazy mark of just hallucinating. And when I called my grandfather from the curb after I won, he was just tickled. Like he was just so happy. Um, but he's like, so when did you start hallucinating? It's like <laughs> about mile seven and a half. Like seven and a half hours or whatever i've done that in an endurance event and i swear there were giants following me <laughs> right they weren't. what did you see he was like see crazy stuff out there so <laughs> um tell me about the what bike because you recently become an ambassador um and i know you're experienced a what bike because they, they, you use them in olympic training don't you yeah yeah well that's definitely the gold standard for uh, a stationary trainer for power testing training um, I love how like it's entering a new market because this was something I didn't have access to outside of the Olympic Training Center, basically. So I ha do have a love-hate relationship because I've done a lot of power testing on it, which they put the trash can next to you when you do that because it's you're doing like crazy tests. Is it because you're going to be sick? Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> But, but they won't, you won't have a trash can next to your walk bike. At no, home. not anymore. <laughs> Thank heavens. Um, 
but it's such a it's just such a beautiful device for extremely accurate results, great training. Um, and I and I work a lot too outside of just riding bikes. So as opposed to what my Instagram looks like, um, there's a lot of work and consulting that I do. Uh, so I'm really excited to to be able to use this and have it in my house. And so you'll do that for, secretly from your what bike? You'll be working, will you? Brilliant. Yes. Love that. Do you like indoor training? Because I've seen you. I mean, I'm, I was an early adopter to Zwift and I've done, I'm sure, many less kilometers, miles than you have. But um, do you like training indoors? I actually really love it. I, I love Zwift too. If you guys are looking for an integrated platform to work with the watt bike, it's beautiful. It's super fun. Um, I think indoor training is really good for multiple things. Uh, efficiency, because we have life, kids, work, training. Um, so it's efficient. You don't have to put all your clothes on. It could be cold out. It could just be like a pain in the rear to, you know, like getting ready to ride a bike takes me a solid 40 minutes. Like I like should be faster, but I am not like clothes, snacks, you know, outfit changes. I don't know, but the matching socks. Yeah. <laughs> Watt bike, you just put on your, you know, your shorts and your shoes and your snacks are close. You know, if you need to fill yeah. up your water bottle, it's fine. Um, so for efficiency, I think it's amazing. Um, and for high intensity, you can really push yourself very hard inside without worrying about obstacles and potential, like potential hazardous situations you could put yourself in if you want to go that hard. Not everyone wants mm. to go that hard, but I do my like all out efforts always inside. I just want to ask you another question because so many people will be fascinated. I love your story. I love what you've been through and I love all your advice. Um, for people who are listening, who are kind of pushing their own boundaries and they'll have whatever, you know, everybody's challenges are different. What is your advice if they're thinking about, you know, pushing themselves a little bit harder than they have been or taking on a challenge? I think we can go back to finding the goal that you want to work towards and then um, for me, I am like a, a, a list writer. And so I have my pie in the sky goal. You know, you want to win this race. And then I have, and then I have milestones though leading up to that, that keep me kind of chasing a carrot, but also seeing my progress is really important. Um, there's a multiple training platforms out there to use. Uh, coaching is great. And just having some structure um, and making sure you rest enough too. It's always important. I think people like to dive in. So you you want to gradually build, rest, gradually build, rest, you know, and keep this upward trajectory. And um, and then find those, yeah, those mini milestones along the way to your pie in the sky goal. And really enjoy the process is is I think the most important part. But I am a scientist, so I like the analytical side of things with like the, the training. Plan. So you like the data and you like all of that, do you? Oh, I I have never ridden a bike. This is how Oh man, princess I am. I've never ridden a bike without power because <laughs> I started cycling later. So I've always had power heart rate. I have, you know, whatever, <laughs> however many years of my power files just on my computer, refuse to let those go. So I do like the data, but I, th I think just enjoying that once again, like you have the option and opportunity to get better and train and see your performance improve and, and to watch that growing in through intervals, literally in intervals. Yeah. I like what you say about enjoy the process because I think sometimes when I've done, you know, I've had that pie in the sky thing that I've done. Actually, some of those rides, runs, swims for me that I've done on the way have been, we've talked about pinnacles, haven't they? They have been amazing moments in my life and perhaps more amazing than even the pie in the sky thing. And you don't know at the time, but it's interesting how you can sort of, you know, pushing your peak is about lots of different things and lots of different peaks along the way. Yeah, it's, it's just a beautiful process, like I said. And, you know, it, it's a privilege to to be able to exercise. It's good for health, wellness, recovery. And then you can just go and push your limits. 
Tell me about, are you allowed to tell me what your pie in the sky is at the moment or not? I got married this year. Um, I'm super, oh. I'm super injured. So my Watt bike, we're going to have to pop back on for lots of reasons, but my, my Watt bike is helping me with my recovery. Um, so I tore my, I dislocated my patella this year and tore my MPFL, so a ligament. So um, the Watt bike is helping watching the, the leg strength differences and how that's improving. It's fascinating. So talking wow. about dorks. So right now, yep. I mean, we're going to go back to, I'm not in a searching for pinnacle. I'm just like, want to ride without pain. And this bike is really helping me because if I hurt too, I can just get off of it. I'm not 10 miles away. So that's been great. Um, and next year, I, like I have a few events coming up. I'm racing 145 miles on Saturday in Colorado. That'll be fun. I love that. Yep. I love it. You're in recovery and you're racing 145 <laughs> yeah. mile race. I just want to see, like, I don't think I'm able to win yet and I don't want to hurt myself, but I'm just like. I've been building up, you know, using indoor training and efficiency. And I just want to see, like, I want to get, feel tired again. <laughs> you know, like I've been babying my knee for six months. So, but yeah, it's been a big year. So my pinnacle moment might not have been on the bike this year because marriage. <laughs> it might've been getting married, mightn't it? Which is yes. lovely. <laughs> you clearly, what I love about you is you clearly enjoy, you know, you enjoy life off the bike as well. You talk about snacks, you talk about happy marriages. You know, it's wonderful to see that, you know, you've got, you've got a whole lot going on, not just cycling. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's important, but that's how I needed to get back together with my bicycle several years ago. But um, I'm looking forward to pushing limits again. And and I, I do miss that salty fatigue and, you know, utter exhaustion. But also back to what we said about health or results, I need to just make sure my knee and everything is healed. But that's why indoor training is great too for that, uh, you know, efficiency and that data. Oh, man. And my husband loves it. He changes the bike seat. Like, you know, he just hops on the bike because now he doesn't have to change the saddle height or anything. <laughs> <laughs> I've now, seen him on one of your bikes. <laughs> he rides my bikes. He doesn't change this. We're very close in fit. I'm very tall. But when he rides my bikes, he, he rides them like a millimeter too low, but he doesn't want to touch my saddle heights because he's terrified. So but on the walk bike, bike, he can. Brilliant. He can. <laughs> <laughs> Quick five questions for you, Alison. What's your guilty pleasure after a savage what bike session? Beer and nachos. I, I, I could have guessed it. What's the song that gets you pumped for a workout? Anything Taylor Swift. Excellent. Do you have a secret item in your pain cave? Fan. Nice. Um, who or what is your motivation? My grandfather. Who was your role model growing up? My mom. Lovely. Uh, what motivates you to do what you do? Being better. Oh, Alison, it's such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. And very good luck with your continued knee recovery and, uh, you know, and, and finding whatever the pie in the sky is. It's been really fantastic to talk to you. I feel like I've met a kind of soulmate. I mean, I'm not, as, I'm never going to be as fast as you, but the sense of adventure that you and I have is definitely very similar. So it's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Push Your Peak, a podcast for real athletes who don't know their limits. You can find What Bike on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. To find out more, just head to whatbike.com. And if you like what you've heard, I would love it if you could rate, review, and follow. This podcast was brought to you by Watchbike. The Wattbike Atom is the ultimate indoor bike to kickstart your training. No matter what your training or fitness goals are, the free Wattbike Hub app can get you there. Check out watchbike.com to push your performance edge.